The following podcast was recorded on Thursday, April 7th, 2022, featuring Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data. I'm your host, Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by our commentator, Sam Rines of Arbor Data Science. Welcome, Sam. Hey, thanks for having me, Kristen. Today, Sam will discuss food and inflation. Sam, there's different types, different components and definition of inflation. What's the most recognizable form? Oh, well, it's gas and groceries, right? And I, I think we've, we've been hammering this point home quite a bit is that, you know, there are very few prices we pay so much attention to uh, as gasoline. You know, every single time you drive by a giant billboard telling you how much a gallon of gasoline is, diesel, et cetera, you know, we watch those prices pretty closely as consumers. It's just what's out there. It's easy to recognize. And the other one is when we go to the grocery store, how much our bill is moving around, uh, right? It's, it's a pretty, it's pretty easy to track week over week how much you're spending on groceries, whether it's going up, going down, going sideways. Uh, so it's it's something, those are the two that are really easy for people to grasp onto and really easy for people to understand, right? If prices are going up, they're going up and it's pretty, it's a pretty direct hit to the wallet. And to this point, it's, it was interesting when we were beginning to put these um, charts together, uh, there was a speech by uh, one of the uh, FOMC officials leading up to the release of the minutes. Uh, and it was uh, Lyle Brainerd, uh, vice chair, very well respected. And the thrust of her speech was all about food, food inflation, and how it affects different income strata um, consumers differently, right? Uh, the lower income, individuals spend much more on gasoline and groceries, and therefore it's a much larger hit. And she kind of poked a little bit of fun at some things with caviar and tuna. Uh, they're both in the same line item category, but they're both very different consumption items, right? You're not necessarily going to buy caviar and pivot to tuna. It's, so it was a pretty interesting speech. Uh, but another thing she hit on, and I think it hits pretty, pretty close to home during uh, the current inflation situation, is that wealthier consumers that buy name brand goods can switch to store goods uh, and, and likely offset most of the inflation pressures there, right? Their grocery bill might not go up, right? Uh, but for lower income consumers, they might already be buying the store brand and therefore can't offset the inflation in the same way. I think this is it's a pretty clear indication that uh, the Fed is beginning to pay attention to headline inflation a little more uh, than they were before, right? Core inflation metrics were their favorite that stripped out food and energy. Uh, they're beginning to pay a lot more attention to that headline figure now. And let's talk about the impact of the war on Ukraine. Both Russia and Ukraine are export large exporters of critical commodities, wheat and corn. And how has that impacted our food prices? Yeah, so it hasn't, it hasn't trickled through much yet. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, price inflation that could be coming through the system. Uh, as we begin to really squeeze inventories. Uh, Egypt still has like uh, almost three months worth of inventories of wheat. It's a very important commodity uh, to Egypt. They import a lot from Ukraine and Russia. Uh, so we haven't seen the flow through to grocery shelves as much uh, due to higher corn 
in wheat prices as we might in the future. Uh, that's that I think is somewhat critical. Is yes, these prices have soared, uh, but you haven't necessarily necessarily seen it translate to higher prices on the shelves or as high a price on the shelves as you might see in two to three months if we continue to uh, see uh, stockpiles dwindle uh, and supplies really become constrained uh, in the in the wake of uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, the, the one really interesting piece to watch here is what happens with corn. Uh, the U.S. is a very large producer of corn. Um, see how much of that actually works its way into ethanol, et cetera. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting corn market this year. You touched on consumer behaviors um, at the beginning, and we have some interesting search trends from Google. You could kind of walk us through here and tell us what, what how are consumers' behavior really changing? Yeah, so what I like about this is it's the five-week change, right? So you can see that it, it, that they tend to ebb and flow. Uh, when people are concerned about food prices, you also tend to have uh, people searching for food coupons. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? You want to uh, spend a little bit less at the grocery store. You begin to search more for coupons in general. Uh, as we began to see the war in uh, Ukraine um, really tick up, uh, you began to see coupons and searches for coupons absolutely soar, uh, along with inflation searches and food price searches. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, right? Consumer behavior changes when prices change. Um, it's it's a it's something you know as old as time. We are going to likely continue to see higher prices, and people begin to either pull back on certain items or begin to really pay attention to what they're buying and how much. Uh, so you may begin to see some demand destruction across more discretionary type food items, you know, whether it's candy or, you know, you know, something along those lines that you don't necessarily need, uh, but you might enjoy. And how about meat prices? They've definitely been soaring. And just besides the input, the feed costs, there's some broader issues at play. Can you talk about those? Oh, there's many issues uh, within uh, meat markets generally. Um, it, it starts with a significant amount of disease that we've seen, particularly in the U.S., uh, whether it's on the pig front, you've had significant disease destruction uh, for uh, pork in general. Uh, you've had some, you had a freeze in Texas that uh, last, uh, last year uh, where you had a significant uh, hit to the chicken population uh, in Texas. Um, Beef hasn't seen as much of a disease disruption, but there's been some there. Uh, what's mostly the case on this front is, yeah, feed costs are going to be become an issue as those begin to feed through. Again, those haven't fed through as much as they will this summer and into the fall, uh, assuming that you continue to have elevated prices for corn and soybeans. Uh, but what you've been seeing is a significant problem with labor. Uh, is it, it, you know, we had meat prices spike at the beginning of COVID, not necessarily because there was a lack of pigs or chickens or cattle. It was a spike because you shut down the processing plants, um, or at least they took a pause, uh, and that created a shortage of meat, right? When you stop you know, processing animals, that's going to directly affect the shelves. Uh, the, the interesting point here is that you continue to struggle on the labor side uh, across the board. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're trying to process. Uh, it's very difficult to find labor. Uh, a lot of the labor uh, to process meat was seasonal and immigrant labor. Uh, we've seen a significant downtick 
in immigration, not just due to government policies, but due to, due to COVID. Uh, and that's created a significant shortage in the Midwest uh, for meat processors. And that's likely to continue. It's, it's not that they can't raise their pay. They have raised pay across the board. Uh, but it's because you simply don't have uh, people that are willing to do what is a pretty difficult job um, at any price, nearly. Uh, so we're going, I think we're going to continue to see the labor uh, shortage here be acute and problematic as we move through this year into next. It's, it's much less uh, about just food costs or the input costs, right? The feed costs. And a little bit, you know, is due to disease and shortage. It's a lot to do with labor. Uh, and that's going to continue to be a theme. I mean, we're, we're sitting at, you know, sub 4% unemployment. It's going to be difficult to convince uh, people that meatpacking is a, is a job that they want to take. In summary today, Sam, what should we be watching for next? Mm, I, I think this is this is the kind of the, the critical part here. Uh, what we need to be watching for is how we react to, as a you know, call it on the policy side, how we react to uh, the threat on the food front. I mean, it's pretty well known that you know, the gasoline oil market is very very tight right now. Oil prices are elevated. I think it's less understood and less talked about, and it's probably just as bad on the food front. I think we're going as, uh, call it as a country, as a policy, um, federal policy and fiscal policy, going to need to build out uh, some more resilient infrastructure on this front. And I believe we're probably going to have more of a conversation about it uh, in coming weeks as people really begin to understand that the food price inflation isn't going anywhere anytime soon without some without some investment. Well, thank you, Sam, for your thoughts today. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are client-driven. If you have any questions or feedback for future topics, please let us know. For further information on Arbor Research, Bianco Research, or Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.